0: Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program Foundations in Faith. Um, Today, we're going to look at the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 10th chapter, the 1st through the 10th verse. In this, we have... Kind of a very, very interesting structure, because we have—I suppose we might say—almost uh, two tracks of reality going on in front of us as we, as we listen to this gospel, as we hear this word of the Lord, and then we're, we're going to stop and and um, maybe a little background, but kind of reflect on on what it might mean. Um, for the church uh, in the modern age, and also, of course, personally for ourselves. And it starts out with Jesus saying, I tell you most solemnly, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold through the gate, but gets in some other way, is a thief and a brigand. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the flock. The gatekeeper lets him in, and the sheep hear his voice. One by one, he calls his own sheep, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out his flock, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They never follow a stranger, but they run away from him, for they do not recognize the voice of the stranger. Now, the setup, the structure, the picture that Jesus is drawing right now, is a very common scene in in ancient Israel, and to some degree, I suppose, in more more rural areas of the Middle East, probably persists even to today. But the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep is a very unique relationship. The shepherds are, of course, the poorest of the poor. They are the ones who kind of live with the sheep and uh, are kind of rejected in the villages and the cities and so forth because, because they kind of uh, smell like the sheep. They kind of smell like the animals that, that they live with. And so they kind of are isolated and therefore increase the bond that they have with those that are entrusted to their care. At night, to protect them from predators, they'll put them in a common corral. And they come in through the main gate. The sheep have different colors dyed onto their wool so that they can indicate um, to whom they belong. And the shepherd with his own flock usually has names for each of the sheep, which they learn to recognize. And they learn to recognize his voice. So then in the morning when the sheep are gone out of the corral, or out of the ga- out of the uh, contained area where they are, um, the shepherd walks in and he um, calls them by name. They hear his voice and they kind of push through the crowd and they follow him out the gate and back into the pasture lands again so that 's kind of the image that 's in the mind of the people to whom jesus is talking it 's a very familiar image to them when When we hear "Well, the sheep hear my voice and they follow me and so forth um, we we really that 's really not culturally part of our world, and so we tend kind of just to slide over it. But the fact is that it the, it is the familiarity and the confidence and the trust that the sheep have for the shepherd that leads them. Um, sheep are extremely vulnerable animals and they do need someone to look after them and they do need someone to care for them. Um, or they simply wander off and become, you know, uh, prey for, for the local predators that prowl through the, through the hillsides. So this is the structure then. This is the setup. This is how it works. And then Jesus then tells him this parable which, of course, they failed to understand, by the way. So Jesus told them this parable, but they failed to understand what he meant by telling it to them. So Jesus spoke to them again. In other words, the very common, ordinary thing is Jesus tells the story of how a shepherd functions, and everyone says, oh, well, yeah, that is how they function. But not understanding what he meant by that, he goes on to tell a parable. I tell you most solemnly, Uh, to explain the parable. I tell you most solemnly, I am the gate of the sheepfold. All others have come are thieves and brigands, but the sheep took no notice of them. I am the gate, and anyone who enters through me will be safe, and he will go freely in and out, and be sure of finding pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. So he explains now what this structure, what this meant about the sheep gate and the shepherds and so forth. He's saying it relates to me. And he said in relating to me that basically repeating again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me and you will follow me in freedom. Don't follow me and you become the victims of the thieves and the brigands who climb in over the fence and do not come then through the narrow gate. Jesus emphasizes this in many of the Gospels, wherever he says, no one goes to the Father unless through the Son, which means that without Jesus Christ, without Jesus Christ, no one goes into the depths of reality. No one comprehends or grasps the the vastness and the truth of the reality in which we live. And here comes a very interesting question, a question that was raised, has raised, been certainly raised over many, many centuries, very dramatically raised in the questioning, for instance, of the middle of the 20th, late 20th century. And now with the rise of the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S-S, um with the ascendancy of atheism, agnosticism, anger toward Christianity, and all of that, then we began to find out that that underlying reality within the human person which we might be able to sense but not articulate might be able actually to to feel but but really not define all of that it becomes the battle for the definition therefore of what is that inner reality of the human person which is aware of a presence which is aware of of uh, something greater than itself, somehow or other involved in its life, then what is the interpretive tool? How does the person come to know and to understand that? Jesus' claim in the Gospel is that only gets clarified through him. So that when, in fact, in this underlying questioning, in this underlying um, insight and experience within the human person, how is it defined? And I think that it is here that Jesus' message in this Gospel today is most clear. I think that it is here that the battle, really, for Christianity takes place. We find that traditionally, in a Christian society, or even for ourselves, being emerging from a Catholic culture, though perhaps somewhat shattered and broken in the contemporary age, that that underlying reality for us has been defined as the presence of Jesus Christ, both interiorly to us, but also in word and in sacrament. In other words, the Church is interpreting the deepest reality of the human person so that the human person can become conscious of what it is that moves within them and beyond them. I think that in our own lives, um, I've just had a recent conversation with a very good friend in which we, we were talking about this, which we were discussing this, that at what point did that sense of another, somehow or other in our lives, at what point did that become defined for us as Jesus, as the Savior, as the Redeemer? And all of us, I think, kind of sense and understand that it was through both the example of the believers within our families, but in the instruction that we received in the masses that we attended, in the schools that we went to, and so forth. So that there was then, we were entering through the gate that we were not climbing over the fence to discover the depth, the reality of ourselves. We were coming through the gate, and we were hearing the voice then that would gather us together and lead us forth out into life itself. I think that there is another phenomenon going on here as well. And I think that what we began to realize and begin to discover also is that there is an ancient understanding of the construct of the human person. Um, St. Augustine um, articulated probably best back in the the fifth century, um, talking about the soul as the image of the Trinitarian God has three parts to it, the memory, the will, and the intellect. And Augustine defines the memory as that which has kind of um, a basic understanding of uh, of our source, of our origin, an understanding, he says, of the first principles of scientific axioms. In other words, the structure of rational thought, um, not reason itself, but the structure of rational thought. And, and memories in some way, shape, or form um, that are greater than our own experience can possibly be, and a certain sense of present and a certain sense of future. Now, that might we might say to ourselves, well, that doesn't sound quite right. You know, how do we have all this inside of us, and yet we've had no sensory experience, um, which is kind of another way of understanding human knowledge and understanding. But... But what we find, for instance, is even in the 20th century, people like Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung um, took up this memory component of the tripartite soul of Augustine and uh, actually began to develop theories of the pre-consciousness, of the unconsciousness of the human person. Well, into that category of pre-consciousness and unconsciousness might be that sense of something other than ourselves that comes to us at a very young age. That's part of the capacity of a child's capacity, of a child's ability to to, for their imagination, to make up um, uh, realities for themselves. And to play in, in, in a world that they construct themselves. Perhaps that's uh, transferred a little bit from, from the mind of the child it, it, onto a computer screen that the child's mind encounters. But in any case, it's a phenomenon outside of themselves. And that phenomenon outside of themselves takes on structures of reality for themselves. And so we have to then come to understand what. how do we build and construct those structures of reality for the unconsciousness of the child and and, and the sub preconsciousness of ourselves. Well, this is the role that the church plays then. This is the role that the church is supposed to play. It is supposed to therefore proclaim what the object of that unconscious sense is within us. And in that, to allow us then to create and to be able to form within our minds some definition of meaning, some definition of purpose, some definition of ultimate reality. And if, in fact, the book of Genesis is correct, and we believe that it is, the prelude of John's gospel is correct, and we believe that it is, then the substructure basically of all reality is the Word of God, is the Word of God who is the light of the world. And so for us in our preconsciousness to to. Contact or come in, in in contact with the substructures of all reality, it is the task of the Church to proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. It is the task of the Church to help to to strengthen and authenticate our sense, deep inner sense of his real presence among us, and that this is what the Gospels are doing, and this is what the liturgy does that it is not going into the world of make-believe and imagination it is going into the world of the preconscious and the world of the senses deep personal senses within the human person that asks the questions about what is the reality of my life there is a certain danger of course in allowing in allowing modern culture to form those responses instead of allowing believing parents and the proclamation of the church. But the crisis of the present age certainly is that the thieves and the brigands are scrambling over over the fences of the corral in which in which humanity is struggling to find its own identity. And they are taking that unformed pre-consciousness of humanity, that unformed unconsciousness of humanity, and they are reinterpreting in a way that is hostile to the substructures of reality. They are reinterpreting it in a way that creates a false understanding of the human person, of human nature. Which is why this gospel becomes increasingly important for us to grasp and to understand because it tells us that for the true safety and security, that truth and interpretation of our realities have to enter in through the person of jesus christ no one goes to the father but through the son no one goes to the whole existence of ultimate reality except through the son who is the substructure of all reality and that jesus makes it clear for instance when there is a theophany in the old testament and god appears the people the people if they dare to approach that will die in the Old Testament. That's what happened to them. That's what happened to the ones who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, that in order to try to go to the God, to go to the Father, without the knowledge and without the proclamation and the revelation of the Son, led to destruction. And we can take those theophanies of the Old Testament And we can say that the voice of God speaks in the modern world. The voice of God speaks through the scriptures. The voice of God speaks in the word. The voice of God speaks through the believing tradition of the people who have been his faithful disciples throughout the centuries. And that in some way, to void that, to circumvent that, is to bring about an interior form of destruction to humanity, a form much worse than a plague or or a famine or or anything else, because it, it distorts the total interiority of the human person. The structure and the reality of the human person is interpreted most authentically and realized most fully in faith in Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean, therefore, that the exteriors of the Catholic Church um, in some way, shape, or form guarantee that we will never be deceived uh, in our interiority. And this is the crisis of the Church in the modern age. It has, within some of its people, it has used the institution to deceive the interiority of the human person. And it is a crisis of confidence in the Church it is not that the Church has erred, and it is not, in fact, that the Church has abandoned its mission of being the voice of the shepherd, but it is that many of those who assume the role of shepherd within the Church have been unfaithful to what they have proclaimed, and that, and as a matter of fact, every one entrusted with the proclamation of the Word who sins mortally, grievously, at least goes through a certain period of their life when they have become inauthentic uh, emissaries of the Lord Jesus Christ, inauthentic proclaimers of his truth and of his word. And certainly those who have totally abandoned the faith and yet use their office um, as a teaching office have done the same. So we have a critical issue right now within the Church. For if we say that the substructure of all reality is Jesus Christ, if we say that in the tripartite soul, in the memory of the soul, there is a sense of the authenticity of that presence, there is a sense of the authenticity of the substructure of the reality, but it remains undefined for us in our unconscious. If we say that, and then we hear the word of the church and we hear the word of God, we hear the proclamation of those who have gone before us in faithfulness, we hear that in the schools that we have attended or in the churches that we have attended and so forth, then the service that the church gives us in that one sense is to articulate for us the unformed perceptions and and. And interior senses of our unconscious self. When, in fact, others climb over the fence, and when they, in fact, infuse that unconscious self with false interpretation of reality, then what they do is they distort the human person to themselves. And so the depths, therefore, of dishonesty becomes devastating for humanity and devastating for the human person. When, in fact, then, that the vehicle of interpretation, authentic interpretation, somehow or other fails as as a trustworthy shepherd... Then we have a very deep crisis, and i and I, I constantly go back and think about the experience of St. Francis Xavier when he went to the Far East as a missionary. The first place he went was to the island of Goa off the uh, off the mainland of India, and Goa had been settled primarily by Portuguese settlers, and all of whom were Catholic. Francis Xavier arrives in Goa, attempts to preach to the local people the indigenous people and he is totally unsuccessful he writes back to saint ignatius of loyola and said that the lives of the catholics here are so scandalous that it is not possible for uh, for the for the local people the native people to find credible anything that i say about the faith and so with that obstacle that stumbling block that exists in front of those people. He had to leave Goa, and he went on to um, Ceylon, which I think today is modern-day Sri Lanka. And there he, he catechized and baptized hundreds of thousands of people. Went on from there to Japan, forming the Catholic communities in Nagasaki especially, which remained intact a fundamentally Catholic area until 1945 and then died uh, on his way into China. Um, was eventually followed into China by Matteo Ricci um, and and his companions who then set about, in and, and the way of missionary activity, set about finding ways to help to clarify the unknown in the core of every hu- human person's being and raising it into consciousness with the known, with that which has been given to us from outside of ourselves and not which we have created for ourselves. So that when, then, we look at this gospel, we find the entire problem of evangelization, the entire problem of missionary activity, and we find the entire problem of uh, of the relationship between God and humanity at stake here in this simple parable and in this simple explanation of the parable. I think that what probably maybe what we're talking about, I must admit I don't really understand fully um, what Pope Francis is talking about when he says we shouldn't proselytize but we should evangelize. Um, I can only give what I would understand that to be, not what he would understand that to be. But I would say that if you want to make that distinction, that certainly proselytism becomes the fact when you bring somebody into conformity with the exteriority of the church and uh, introduce them into a cultural way of life evangelization would be exactly what Jesus is talking about here in the gospel today. And in the gospel today, basically what he is doing is, is at least in my understanding, talking about articulating the interior sense of of reality to the person in order that they may be transformed from within themselves by raising into their own consciousness that which lies unconscious at the core of their being and enabling them to freely then in their freedom as fuller human beings, as more complete human beings, to begin to realize and to choose the way, the truth, and the life that leads ultimately to the Father, ultimately to the presence of the Triune God. If, in fact, I am correct in that interpretation, then then one could say, well, then it seems kind of uh, like maybe that's a legitimate distinction and we should not be uh, puzzled or bewildered by that. Um, if, that if that is uh, the Holy Father's understanding of it, I get, I get that. If it isn't, then, then I'm left kind of without understanding. But I think that even if that exists it does play very much into the reality of what this gospel speaks about. And in what this gospel speaks about is the authenticity of the fundamental relationship of existence itself between that which is interior and, and that which is unarticulated within ourselves but present to be somehow or other invested in a trusting way, to that authentic, the only authentic interpreter of the foundations of reality if, in fact, we are to accept the revelation of Genesis and if we are to accept the revelation of, Je- of John's Gospel. What does this mean for us, then, and how do we do this ourselves? Is this just kind of a, kind of a, a, a monologue on abstraction? I don't think so. Because I think that who we are inside of ourselves is that which defines us to a great extent in relationship to our neighbor, in relationship to faith, in relationship to the structures of the world in which we live. And it therefore situates us and it therefore places us very firmly within the world in which we live as an element and a source, maybe we might even say, of energy for authentic humanity, for an authentic form of being human. And in that authentic form of being human that enables us therefore to encourage and to share that sense of interior authenticity with the people in whom we come in contact in our lives. It is not something that is therefore trivial, but it is the story about humanity Growing into a deep sense of itself, both within ourselves personally, it tells us who we are. And that is an authentic quest of every single human person. That each of us, we come to the wellspring because we want to, in some way, shape, or form, strengthen the structures within ourselves that reflect the ultimate realities of life of relationship, of people, of marriage, of friendship, of family, of all of those kinds of things. So let us then, as we read this, ask this serious question within ourselves. What is the deepest sense within myself? What do I think of when I think of who I am? Do I simply multiply characteristics or do I ask basic and fundamental questions? And if I ask those questions, Where do I go for clarification? Where do I go for illumination? Where do I go to answer the fundamental and deepest questions of my life, of who I am, of why I am here, what is my origin, and what is my destiny? Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM 820. Archives of Foundations and Faith are available at saintgabrielradio.com.